Today on Let's Talk VoiceOver with BT and Randy Ryan. Game Studios. Are they moving away from story-driven games and what does that mean for VoiceOver? Man vs. Machine. Is artificial intelligence a reasonable alternative to those pesky voice actors? The guys reveal a history of working together for over 20 years and sound like crotchety old guys yelling at people to get off their lawn. And we talk about the possible convergence of games, movies, and technologies for a better entertainment experience. So settle in, my friends. Let's talk. Voiceover. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk voiceover. Brian and Randall. Hi, Brian. Hi, Randall. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm well. That Things have warmed back up here after getting cool in Austin. And uh, me being somebody who has taken to the heat really doesn't like the cold. So, um, See? Yeah, I know. I'm sure there are people here who would be like, you're crazy. This is perfect weather. Well, the weather isn't the only thing that's changing. Let's talk about Visceral Games. Yeah, right. I know. It's um, a AAA studio gone out of business. That's a big deal. So does that tell us that people are going away from storytelling in games for other kinds of games, casual games or sandbox worlds? Yeah, it, at least that's what it says that EA is thinking and doing. Um, well, but I'm also seeing that in other areas as well, right? So first of all, we all know that AAA titles are based on franchises. Right. It's come down to that, yeah. Usually from other media, um, you know, you still have... Yeah, some of the things, the Halos and the Sonic the Hedgehogs and some of those kinds of things that do still exist. But, you know, the majority of all AAA titles come from a sports franchise or a movie or um, something that's already pre-existing. It's, a, it's, it's an existing franchise and goes that way. Mm -hmm. Just like Hollywood is really struggling to come up with new content and they're really kind of wearing out the reboots well so right? so what is the, you know because uh, i may have the same opinion i may have a different opinion but but yeah what does it mean to you if first of all for yourself when you are choosing something to play you know i actually default to story-driven games um and even if the story is not necessarily deep although i, I love you know the really deep rich stories you know the the fact that there is there is story is actually fairly important to me. And it's not like I won't play a game that, you know, isn't, you know, I mean, they're fun. You know, there are lots, plenty of fun games out there that, you know, there's sure. like zero story. It's not even, there's not even a plot, you know, but. Sure. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? What, what, what do you like to play and what does this mean to you if, if you can draw a conclusion yet? So for me personally, I, when I do sit down and game, you know, much like watching cable TV where you have. 200 stations, but the average person watches six. Mm -hmm. All the games that exist out there, I tend to play the same four or five games over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. With that said, uh, as, my in, two, as in just for clarification, you buy the new version of that game or you actually go back and play? Um, no, I, <laughs> I've been playing, for example, I've been playing NCAA 2009 football. Gotcha. Uh, for what well, is it? Twenty seventeen now. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> eight years. <laughs> and and what I kind of get hooked on with that with Tiger Woods golf, 
being able to create franchises and dynasties and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to sports games, that's really what I try to do is, uh, you know, I, I just uh, my addictive behavior kicks in and I really end up playing that that repetitive build the dynasty and continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, you and I worked on a game called john deere american farmer right and uh, which I, I which i admit i have st- i have i have gone back and pulled out and played again years later right I, I mean that's one of those games i i farmed for 60 years uh game time one yeah. time wow and my I, kids were really um not happy with me but uh, <laughs> their kids will get over it yeah yeah so um all i have to do is mention john deere american farmer video game and they just start to cringe See, you're supposed you're supposed to scar your kids somehow. Now, how that is the most harmless way to scar them. Dad wouldn't play. He didn't love us. He loved John Deere. Scarring kids with video games. Perfect. There's something. (laughs) There's actually something a little uh, a little sweet about that. I guess since uh, since video games are are normally what kids do to to get back at parents. Right. True. Good point. I do like storylines. Like. uh, you know, Grand Theft Auto. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Even even the. Oh, what's the big war game? Call of Duty. Call of Duty, right. Even Call of Duty, I really appreciate the storyline rather than just the open play. Mm -hmm. The open play to me gets boring after a while, Mm -hmm. right? All right, so let me ask you this. So you like Call of Duty. Visceral was, you know, was but making. I, but I like was, Call of Duty in the in the story mode, not in the open play mode. Right. Well, you know, Battlefield is one of Visceral's games. I mean, you know, sure. EA's response to Call of Duty, no doubt. Um, right. I guess we'll know where EA's head is maybe if they do another Battlefield with a different studio. Um, you know, and what I don't know because I've never worked for Visceral is were there internal problems at the studio or is this really because they made a trend. Made, yeah, well, and then you have to look at somebody like BioWare, which is EA made a big play for years ago. I mean, their entire identity is story driven. Right. And, you know, and of course, I worked on a BioWare game for almost two years that was totally story driven that ended up getting shut down. I've got my theories, you know, but nobody ever really said why. Uh, spe- I mean, they did, but. You know, there was obviously yeah, something the truth. else. Right. There was, there, you know, sure. I don't know that we've ever, that we've ever heard the truth. So maybe that is a trend, but is it a trend for EA? Is it a trend industry wide? I, I don't know. The big promise for video games for me is when I realized that you could merge a movie with a video game and basically have an interactive story that can just go on and on and on. And you can play it to different outcomes and all that. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that was, Long, long time ago, back in the 90s, I've always been really intrigued by that mm-hmm. and by the whole following a story from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I look at my kids and they use video games more as a social medium mm-hmm. than an entertainment medium. Mm-hmm. Which would then take you back to the whole MMO. Um, exactly. Right. And so that so so that's it. So that's the kind of the thing. I think it's a generational difference. Um, mm-hmm. I think that older people uh, and when I say older, I'll talk about people over 35. I think older people enjoy story driven and I think younger people simply participate in the MMO experience. Mm-hmm. And my theory is that's what's happening. Uh, does Maggie play your daughter Maggie? Does she play video games? No. Okay, because no, I would because I all. would have just guessed that if she did, 
that she might be your 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 anomaly to that. But yeah. she doesn't play video games and we don't know. No, she she spends her time doing other stuff. So but Joe is a, a fairly heavy uh mm-hmm. video game player. Mm-hmm. And he'll go ahead and do things like uh, he'll play skate games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But even those, he won't follow the storyline. He gets really bored with the storyline, even when he's playing by himself, when he's mm-hmm. not playing uh, in, in the MMO realm. Mm-hmm. He gets really bored with the storyline. And so he just does free play. And I, I don't know. It's it's almost more of a casual game attitude mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. Where he just, if he has 15 minutes... He'll just pop it on, go play, and then dump out of it at any point in time. Mm-hmm. There's not necessarily a goal or an ending point or anything else. He just kind of does it to fill time. Interesting. And then, you know, when he's playing Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty or any of those other kinds of things, he plays it in MMO mode. More as a social activity than than actually playing the game. Mm-hmm. And boy, he you know, he gets frustrated with me because... If I try and join in, first of all, I don't have the same skill sets because I don't spend the same amount of time on those games with that that he does. And uh, and who the hell wants to play a video game in a social setting with your dad? So. <laughs> oh, I might, but you know, yeah, well, but my dad wouldn't play, so that's a different story. See, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's probably a little too early to tell for sure, and without understanding the internal management structure and what was really going on inside the studio, mm-hmm. is it something that's unique to the studio, or is it signifying a change in the games that are being made? I, I think it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, right. I agree. I know we're probably, you know, going to at some point spend an entire session talking about esports, but I'm just to tie that in with this. Do you well, see? I think, I think it follows. I think that follows the same concept, right? right? Because that was the rise of esports was MMO, right? Being able to play online against other people in in multiplayer situations, you create the esports teams, right? And then they battle against each other, and you know, esports is interesting because obviously one of the biggest esports games is League of Legends, mm-hmm. right? Which is it's not current day, right? right. And right. it's not sports oriented. Right. Um and it's it really is almost like uh, a glorified um extension of a Dungeons and Dragons kind of battle thing. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to watch all that and watch how that's progressed and how that's developed. When you consider that and and the creation of esports and the trend of MMO, mm-hmm. I think that we're definitely seeing at least a curtailing of story-driven or narrative-driven gaming in lieu of more of a social gaming or um, even social competitive. Gaming. So as, as an actor, what are your thoughts on that? Well, as an actor, there isn't a whole lot of need for <laughs> for a lot of actors and those kinds of things. I mean, you can do the interstitials, you can do some grunts and groans and owls and death screams and stuff like that. But when you're talking about an MMO kind of environment, it's it's, it's not character driven. Right? There's there's not that much of a role for it. I think that actually may also contribute to part of that because not only is there more popularity and more interest and more market demand for those kinds of games, but it's also 
to some degree a little easier because you don't have as many people involved. You don't have the actors that you have to cast and record and bring in and and include in the game and then deal with the unions and they want royalties and right? right so it's you know i think it's i think it's shifting just like technology is shifting a whole lot of things for actors uh, i laugh at the people that say that uh, you know pretty soon you'll be able to have sampled voices and you just won't need people to act anymore mm-hmm. i'm still a little hard pressed on that one but, well, uh, I have seen some things, though, that, again, as, you know, who's, you know, I'm on the other side of the glass, but obviously a lot of what I do is is directing and casting. I have seen some speech to text things. Uh, there, there have been a couple of projects that people used it as placeholder, and then they said, you know what, that's good enough, and they put it in. Now, granted, none of them were story-driven games. Right. Um, but – And see, I could absolutely see studios – Doing that, using computer-generated voice to be able to replace actors in those kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. I still believe that true creative, there's a human element that, at least to date, computers have not been able to get there. I don't know that they ever necessarily will. Mm-hmm. IBM Watson cut together a trailer for a horror film, mm-hmm. right? A 30-second movie trailer. Big Big publicity, IBM Watson uh, reviewed horror flick trailers and identified all the patterns and what works and what doesn't and what makes them better and what really creates the engagement. Then analyzed every shot in the movie and came up with and and started to automatically piece together this movie trailer. Mm -hmm. And so I watched the final product, right? Now, I'll Mm -hmm. tell you, the first six or seven seconds was pretty engaging. Mm Mm-hmm. The last 23 were a giant who cares. Wow. Interesting. I think technically by the numbers, you had everything that was supposed to be there. Right. It still fell flat. Well, this is why, you know, there. Uh, one of the things that I remember from years ago was people were talking about songwriting. You know, what went into elements of making a hit. Now, granted, you know, computing has changed a lot in in this time period because this was a good 15 or so years ago. And I just remember there was a there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about a guy in, I believe, Pennsylvania, but it doesn't really matter where he was, who was using computer generated music to write, quote unquote, custom jingles. So it may even have been longer ago than 15 years because, you know, jingles are, you know, have obviously been stressed for a long time. So maybe it was 20 years ago. But, you know, the article was interesting because he actually was getting people to buy them. They had no samples. I didn't hear anything that was created. But I have seen lots of press over the years written about that. And the problem is, and this is what I would say needs to be very, very careful when it comes to uh, computer generated VO is you think you can quantify it and you think that everything is an algorithm that can get to it. And maybe at a super, super, super deep level, that is true. But if you take the AI out of it and everything is just an algorithm tree, humans don't work on algorithm trees. We do not. Yeah, people are unpredictable. Absolutely. And that's what makes us genuine and real and quite honestly interesting right and the best sessions that i've worked on honestly are the ones where the actor or actors come in and the dev may have something in their head i may have something in my head and they give us something different and everybody that is involved 
is comfortable enough when their own skin with their own product with everything else go no let's let this go for a bit and it doesn't mean that that's what you end up keeping but it's you know it's well we're thinking maybe of the obvious thing that's going to happen here and the actor is thinking you know like when you expect that they're going to shout and sob and do all this and they get really quiet and low and and it's just a totally different direction and that's the beauty of humanity and that's the beauty of really good acting is taking you on a ride that you did not expect to be on. I like to call that having soul. Yeah. Right? It is. And I think that that's, that's the part that I don't know that machines will ever be able to go there for humanity's sake. I kind of hope they can't. Right. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> right. But uh, even even as recent as uh, this past spring in Austin, Microsoft had a uh, big demonstration. I think it was Microsoft um, had a big demonstration of creating music with AI and machine learning. And mm -hmm. they did the same exact thing, right? And everyone's like, oh, this is amazing. This is incredible. No, it wasn't. No, mm -hmm. it wasn't. I don't know a single person who really has a musical ear, who really appreciates music, who listened to that and said, God, that is that is good, yeah, right? Right. I think for the average person, just listening for something and going, hey, yeah, well, a computer created that and it didn't cost anything. Right. First of all, that's a misnomer. Of course, it costs something. It costs a lot. Right. It costs millions and millions and millions of dollars of research and development and computing time and computing power, uh, developing the machine learning and the AI and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is, is the result the result was flat. It had no soul. Right. And so, okay, yes, you created musical tones that followed a path mm -hmm. and, you know, stayed on a beat. It, it, they actually recreated uh, some sort of a Celtic song. Mm -hmm. I just, I felt like it was so, yet again, it reminded me exactly of the movie trailer. It just, mm -hmm. it fell flat. Mm -hmm. yeah. Was it technically there? Sure. Was it something I would be interested in listening to? No. Well, that's one of the hardest things to teach. Um, you know, I'm going to go back to musicians, but it doesn't matter what the skill is. People with chops. So there is a project that I'm I'm not working on. I'm trying to help somebody out with it. And it's a guy. It's a composer. He's not the person I'm talking to. I'm actually talking to the producer who's come to me for advice and help. The issue is that this is an animated children's series. And the composer got pulled in for a variety of reasons, which don't matter. And the guy is sure. really good. I mean, he is technically, he, I mean, he's very gifted. I, you know, but what he has a difficult time with is understanding, I think, at least in this case, I mean, I'm guessing this is not an isolated case, that throwing everything you know into something, that shows that you are technically gifted. It does not show that you understand what the thing is. And I think that's kind of where you're, you're saying with the same thing. So he like, he's doing this big epic, almost like huge orchestral video game track for something that's about uh, a couple of animals that time travel and, and learn about friendship. Um, sure. it, it's sweet. It is not sweeping. Yeah. And yeah. you can dissect John Williams all you want and figure out what he did for Jurassic Park. That doesn't mean that you can create that kind of a composition that that stirs emotion right. just because you follow the pieces and parts. Right. Absolutely. And in the same respect, look at things like Sesame Street. Everybody knows that theme, right? 
but just that little ding, 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 that's all it needs, you know, and it's not just because we're used to it. The first time you heard that, it stuck in your head, you know? Right. It was, it was the simplicity and genuineness of it that really brought you to the place where they were trying to get you to go. Absolutely. And that's what a lot of the same people that think that machines can technically figure this stuff out. And again, yes, if you essentially what it is, is if you can actually create artificial, unpredictable artificial intelligence, which we may do at some point, um, yep. then yes, I think that machines will be able to replicate a lot of human activity. Um, but the concept, the concept of that is flawed in itself because you're saying <laughs> we're going to create repeatable unpredictable right machine behavior right well by definition a machine does what you ask it to do that is true <laughs> so you're asking it to be unpredictable it will be unpredictable in a predictable way well it has to it, it basically it has to achieve sentience I mean, that's really right that's really the thing and is that really what we want i mean maybe it is you know there's a reason that sci-fi has written about that same thing for 75 years if not longer right, the, yeah the rise of the machine sure right and and rarely does starting it end. with starting with isaac asimov in in yeah. rur and uh going on from there yep absolutely i don't know that there's a science fiction writer yet that has had a good ending for humanity now that doesn't mean they're right but <laughs> <laughs> kind of interesting well, that they all seem to come to the same conclusion sentient machine bad well and and so that does kind of Bring us back to our original topic. Has the MMO replaced the story-driven game? I refuse to believe that story goes away. I, I don't think it'll ever go away, but I certainly believe that the role of story has diminished or at least become more specialized and and more niched. Then, it's almost a niched product now mm-hmm. as opposed to... Let's go back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, when you and I started doing stuff. You and I have been working together for 20 years on games now. Right. And we, st- and we started working together, obviously, before then. Uh, that, that stuff that we did with uh, with our good buddy Dave Dugan for um, whatever the wireless was. Um, ah, cellular was, wireless. That yes. was it. The very first project that, that I ever worked on with you was that. Um, anyway. Um, um, yeah. Randy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, Randy? Yeah, Dave. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, what, what, what's, Randy, what is uh, um, could you get Brian to um, please stop imitating me? Because it's annoying. It's impossible. Yeah, Dave. It, yeah, it, Dave. It, it's, it's actually, um, you know, it's, it's actually impossible not to imitate Dave because. It is. Well, he's I, Dave. I love Dave Dugan. Oh, oh my God. God, do I love Dave Dugan. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Anyway, tangents. Okay, well, let me well, let me throw this out. So, uh, just to get your opinion on this, TV, other than sitcoms, had largely gone for a period of time. They were moving away from story. They were moving to things that were episodic, but they didn't build on each other, which arguably could be kind of the same thing as the MM, as the MMO. Sure, it, maybe not as social, although it could be. Obviously, over the last eight years, maybe it would be a good you know once. HBO started showing that, and so maybe it's been longer than that, that if you were unfettered by the networks and to some degree the FCC, and I'm not just talking because you can do nudity or, or vulgarity, but it also, it just opens up the topics that you are able to 
touch. You know, you. Well, you sure. Can, I think HBO with The Sopranos really brought the value of story back to the forefront. Right. So, and then you can talk about things like Mad Men and Breaking Bad and Twenty Four. Even right. Twenty Four was an amazing story-driven thing, right? So, right. Are things cyclical? Yeah, because I mean, those story-driven TV shows really saved TV from right. running so far down the reality path that they'd never be able to come out. Well, which ended arguably I, I could still make the case that the that the networks largely have, you know, obviously not everything on network TV is a reality show, but there's still such a proliferation of it. Well, and even to the other cable channels, you know, the things that ostensibly are you're learning about stuff, uh, a home decorating shows, you know, that that really are all about they're reality shows. They're well, sure. There sure. are they're all setups, uh, trying to be disguised as being not setups. You know, the number of people that Duck Dynasty fooled for years that you know they thought this was real. It's like this is a complete setup. TV still has its issues. So I guess my question is, do you think games potentially do the same cycle where story will come back as a stronger medium, or do you think story has gone to TV? And games are taking the social, you know, well, let's get together and just, you know, hang out and maybe play some games at the same time. Um, could be so both. In, yeah. In, in my old age, I've come to realize that life is very cyclical, right? Everything old is new again. My God, all my clothes from the 80s and 90s, uh, right. my, my kids – just fight over them, you know? Right. <laughs> and they're disgusting. I actually have a pair of parachute pants from 1984. <laughs> I did ditch those. <laughs> I still have mine. Um, they're size 29 waist, so I'll never see them. But, you know, it's uh, I do I do have them. They're going to go in my, uh, my keepsake memoriam someday. There you go. Everything old is new again. I think everything is cyclical. I think there will come a point in time because people look for something new. Mm -hmm. And when I say new, new to them. Right. Right. So if you get away from story driven narratives and story driven games, I think that there will come a point when people go, hey, did you see this really new game? This is so cool. What a great concept. It's like watching a movie, but it's a game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, I, um, I, I think that's, yeah. I think that is certainly highly possible. Absolutely. The other thing that I potentially see is more of a merger between the movie industry, which is going through its own issues, mm -hmm. right? Because people right. aren't going to the theater anymore to see, see stuff because of a number of reasons, convenience and um, things like Netflix and Amazon and streaming services and mm -hmm. the fact that home video systems, um, home theater systems are so amazing now. Mm -hmm. Quite honestly, would you rather stay at home and stream a movie for your family or would you rather pay $10 or $15 a head to go to a movie theater with your family of five? Right. Right. All of a sudden that becomes <laughs> that becomes a bit of a math equation. So yeah, it does. Um, right. With all those things, I see that movies and the movie industry is going to need to shift and change a little bit. And mm -hmm. I still see a convergence mm -hmm. between video games and film that's much more interactive mm -hmm. for film mm -hmm. and 
you know, probably far less interactive as far as a game goes, but it's kind of like the fruition of a lot of movies that have tried it. When mm-hmm. the movie Clue was done during the, what, the 80s? Oh, yeah. Or yeah, 90s? It was, yeah, it was the 80s. They came out with four or five different endings. Right. I remember that. It was Colonel Plum with, with the Candlestick wrench in the, and, yeah, in the whatever, library. And, and, right? and, and so, and, and depending on where you watch the movie, you'd get a different ending. Mm-hmm. Well, in theory, that's kind of a cool thing because it actually makes, it adds value to the, to the movie and allows you to watch the movie a couple of different times, right? Mm-hmm. So, I still see that that is an option and it can be a really cool option and then you take those kinds of things and you merge them with something like virtual reality. So, now mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have an all-encompassing environmental experience mm-hmm. that has some interactivity Mm -hmm. and i think that that is a solution that traditional hollywood and the games companies and technology companies can all work together to be able to develop a whole new niche a whole new genre a whole new entertainment experience that doesn't Mm -hmm. exist today those would need to be much more narrative driven Mm -hmm. right or story driven Mm -hmm. and so I see all that as kind of a possible future situation that comes out of the fact that we're right now in a cycle that is probably giving less value to narratives and more value to social interaction mm-hmm. in gaming. Yeah. I don't I don't know that that section is going to go away. Um, I don't know it's going to get bigger, smaller, what it's going to do. But I think that it actually opens up uh, a whole nother area that people can focus on and create a new kind of entertainment form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's good stuff. You know, we're, we're talking about what we see coming. I think that's one of the reasons that we've always worked well together and we've always, you know, you and I have both been very lucky to spot trends. Look, like I said, when we met, what, what were we doing? We were doing hardcore advertising radio, right? Yeah. And it's not that we still don't do some of that because we do. Right. But, you know, if you would have said at that point in time, hey, you and I are going to spend, we're going to work 20 years on video games. It's like, really? Yeah, not right. so much. But we but we both saw that. We both saw that as, as something, someplace to go. I, I hope that's not something that I ever lose, that you get complacent with what you're, you know, and, and especially the, you don't see the threat that's happening to whatever it is that you are doing for a living now. Well, you know, and I think the interesting thing that you and I have been able to share together is that even knowing we started working in video games together uh, relatively early into it, I think what we've been able to do, we've never been complacent with it, right? Mm -hmm. So, what is the next stage? You and I have always been able to sit down and have these conversations. What is coming next? What does the future look like? Mostly just out of curiosity and the fact that we really respect each other's opinions enough to bother to ask and have that conversation. And from that, I think there's a real interesting evolution, I guess. And Mm -hmm. certainly it helps us avoid complacency that may result from just going, Hey, you know what? We're making some decent money. Let's just keep doing this until it dies. Well, my final takeaway on, on that is in about the time that you and I started doing games, Laurie and I had moved hamster ball uh, very uh, almost like all chips in 
on the dot coms because there was nobody doing audio. We got in there so early, mostly because we were too stupid to know that this was going to be a big lift. And but so there weren't the competitors. I mean, it's that dream scenario you've got of we're it, you know, and of course we weren't really it, but we were kind of it. And you get in with one, you know, with one company and they refer you to another company and, you know, the whole thing just kind of went like that. If we hadn't started doing video games when the dot-com bust happened, to say that our revenue stream just dropped out and if we hadn't done a couple of pretty well-known video games, like Deer Hunter was one, I'd use Dugan on that. That's the first game you and I worked on was one of the early Deer Hunters. Yeah, that gave us credibility, but... From that point forward, we were never going to get to be complacent and always be looking at the next big thing. Well, or just the next, whether it's big or not, the next thing and understanding that whatever you have may go away. Don't stop. Don't stop looking around. Don't stop looking for new opportunities. That reminds me of my favorite thing to say when someone says, I just had deja vu. I always turn to them and say, what happens next? That's brilliant. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> yes. Well, Brian, as always, love chatting with you about this stuff. And uh, maybe on occasion, we're right. Eh, we'll see. I, yeah. I won't give myself too much credit on that, but uh, I'm in good company. <laughs> so, Randall, until next time. Until next time. Thanks, buddy. Talk okay. to you soon. See ya. Let's Talk VoiceOver is hosted by Randy Ryan, owner of Hamsterball Studios, voice music and sound design. And Brian Talbot, actor and all-around creative guy. If you have comments, questions, ideas for show topics you'd be interested in hearing, or you just want to let us know what you think, you can reach us by sending an email to bt at letstalkvoiceover.com or go to our website at www.letstalkvoiceover.com. That's letstalkvoiceover.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite media app so you don't miss an episode. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk, voiceover. We'll talk again real soon.